0: Yeah, let's do it. Parshas Vayishlach. Okay. Anybody have a chance to look at the parsha beforehand? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Not at all from Amber. Anybody else? Sure. I, I,
1: I'm not done it, but I'm only okay.
0: on Thursdays. So. Okay, what's going on? What happened till then? Well, a lot of stuff. Well,
1: has a little rustle.
0: Rape. La- There's rape. a rape that goes on. That's in today's... We meet Esau
1: again.
0: We meet and they again. Tia they make in, up.
1: In a trunk.
0: That's, yes?
1: Oh, some <laughs> to her. Yeah, that's yeah. today's Aaliyah. That's Thursday's Aaliyah. <laughs> People have uh, spent my circumcised. People have my circumcised. They were massacred. They don't
0: die, they were killed. They were that's. There's a, we need to be careful about our oh, our language. Actually,
1: fun fact. Yes? Yud-Doled um, Kislev is also Reuben's birthday.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Happy birthday. How do you, I, I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. How do we even know that?
1: Um. I'm good friends with him.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. I can find mm-hmm. that. No, my no, it's really funny. <laughs> there there's a lot of random information that people know. My husband, I tell my husband has a book, it's like this fat of things that happen every single day. Like, what's going on. So it has, like, all the yard sites and all kinds of random facts. Word. So they actually have, like, so around now. this
1: app, it's a Chabad app that has, like, a bunch of Thank links to, like, sources and everything. And so it has this thing where it's, like, today in Jewish history. So it yeah. does, like, the weapons marriage. And then it also does Reuven is born in the year um, 2193 from creation. It was Jocko's
0: first born. Cool. There's like all this random information that's available out there if you know how to collate the the random sites. Okay, so what are we up to? So we got a lot of stuff over here. We have a little bit of a fight going on. We have a whole situation. And the end of our Parsha, we have like the genealogy of Aesop, which is a kind of weird end to to the Parsha.
1: Right?
0: That's kind of like... It has a list of all the kings that that ruled in, from Asa before there was ever a king in the Jewish, for the, Jew, for the Jewish, you know, for the Jews. That's kind of the end. And then we have like, uh, we have, um, yeah, that's kind of the end. That's the end.
1: Oh, Rahul passes Rachel away.
0: away? Benjamin Rachel is born. Rachel passes away. That's before the things.
1: Sorry, you um, it's, you chapter verse.
0: Chapter is verse. Chapter verse.
1: Right before,
0: chapter 34 verse 28 and 29 okay so pa- Yitzchak passes away over here genealogically it's it's a little bit out of order okay we also have a little thing with Ruvain going on over here lots of lots of stuff lots of stuff uh, chapter. Just look for chapter and verse. It doesn't matter. This is how It's right here. <laughs> here. No problem. But if you find chapter and verse, you can just follow it along that way. Okay, we have yes. all have a page. We're ready to get started.
1: Uh,
0: yeah. Yes, yes. No, no.
1: This, Rachel,
0: Rachel dies. Rachel dies. Yeah. Really Rachel passes away her.
1: 36.
0: Ben Oni. Yeah. That is really young. So it's He's interesting. So, so it's interesting. She calls her son Ben Oni. Yeah. And her Ben-Yamin. his father, not Ben-Oni. That sounds like it. Yeah, but it's not. Ben Oni is the son of my pain. And um, and his father calls him Binyamin, the, the son of my right hand side. And 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 historically, if you track Benyamin, there a lot of stuff happened to, to Benyamin personally. And as what? Wait, wait Ben. No, it's not Ben-Oni. Ben Oni. Ben-Oni, the, oh. oh. ben the son of my pain. Ben-Oni, the son of my pain. And know. if and, and as you so look weird. through, if you look through, like, ben more on a, like, not just the person, but, like, sort of the, yeah. the bigger picture, he, he has a lot of, there's a lot of places of pain in his life. Um, from the tribe, they had, they had issues, and he has all, he, you know, he lost his mother at a very young age, he loses his brother, Brother disappears for a bunch of years. It's got to be like, you know, a lot of stuff going on over there. At least your question. It says
1: that Yaakov um, erected a monument on her grave. It is the mount, um, monument where Rachel's grave is today, but, but where, where is that? that goes. Well, Cave of So,
0: Cave of Ruchel is where historically we all, people went to Davin and accepted that as her grave. More modern uh, um, tour guides and historians think that that's not the accurate place. So, yeah, but, the, but it's also the first time that we have a conversation of a, of a tombstone being put up. Some kind Never. of way to mark a grave. In Khumish. I don't know, ever, but in Chumash. Whenever we have something the first time in Chumash it becomes significant. So that's also an interesting thing. Is Cave is is Barachal where we can go to, take the bus, bus 167 I think it is, um, to go and visit her. If that's her grave or someplace else is a, up to like modern discussion, but historically that's basically where people used to go to Davin and... Still go to the there. Okay, I think we pretty much covered the highlights of the parsha. Let's go on and see what's going on over here inside. Okay, so our parsha ends. If you remember the end of last week, what was the end of last week? Last week
1: we had all the, the, the most of the tribes talking about you, right?
0: We had all most oh, of the tribes born, with, um, right? So the last thing we had last week, exactly, if you look back two pages, you'll see we had the confrontation with Levan where they meet. And Lavan is, in fact, their grandfather. His grandfather of, of the tribes. And they have this sort of, they, they come to some agreement. Hashem had come to Lavan in a dream and said, don't bother them. So they come to some agreement. Till til Yaakov was able to have the confrontation with Lavan, it took 20 years of work. He'd been there for 20 years. He'd been doing whatever he'd been doing. And, and we spoke about this a little bit last week, but I want to just bring it here sort of as a hinge to this week that Levan represents the people in your life who say, I love you. I love you. I have your best interests at heart, but they really don't. And to be able to identify that and to be able to fight that takes a very long time. Now we're going to turn the page. And this week's Parsha, we're going to have the showdown between Yaakov and Esav. Esav is very clear about what he wants. He wants Yaakov dead. Like he's not subtle about this at all, right? He's coming with 400 men and Yaakov is very nervous. Yaakov is going into this encounter and he's very nervous. Um, and we know what is, does ya- Yaakov ends up doing? Three things.
1: He goes into his knees He doesn't go to. He doesn't Sends messengers, like he's presents
0: and <laughs> like this is from your <laughs> servant. He's like we, choose, we don't do that. Go down on your knees <laughs> thing situation. He bows. He does bow to him. Right. Saying. Okay. He bows to Esau. That's going to be later. The first thing that he do is he's going to come up with his plan of action. Aviv, what does he do? Sends
1: so messengers, presents, and praise, and being like I'm your servant, you're
0: my master. Right. And one more thing that Rashi points out is the one more thing that he does. He prepares for war. So he's actually going to have a three-pronged plan of action. How he's going to deal with Aesop. Number one, he's going to put together this massive, massive, massive gift. I am not a farmer, so to me, the numbers don't really mean very much. Except if you actually look at it, there's a lot of numbers. There's a lot of animals that are going to be sent. And Jacob is a is, he's strategic. He sends enough. Rashi says he sends enough males and females of each species. That there's enough for however this animal um, has relations like if it's one to one or one to four whatever the numbers are that's how the male to female ratio is going to be depending on the animal and how they um, and how they procreate and they oh, he also is going to send each group of animals with the shepherds to take care of them and then he says so that's gonna, first of all that's big okay that's a big gift the second thing he's going to do is he's going to tell the people space it out right do you ever like you know when you you look on the horizon? Anybody ever? I we like like driving near the airports, and like you could see like all of a sudden you see like little pricks of light, and then it gets bigger and it becomes an airplane. Mm-hmm. So basically, what he's going to do is he's he's going to have the 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 herds go far enough away. They're not all squished together, which would be a nice big present, but it's it becomes bigger because as this one's coming closer, all of a sudden out of this, out of your eye you're gonna catch sight of the next group coming from further away and it's gonna come closer and closer and it's gonna become like it, it adds to it adds to the to the buildup of the whole situation. You know my husband once went one of his trips when the kids were little and he brought back like a bunch of party favors as gifts for the kids and he like because we were trying to what to get to them after the, So he like he pulled out one. He gave everybody a thing. And they were all like, whoa. And then he like, pulled out another one and like another one. So like, really, this is on a more adult level. That's really what's going on over here. Like, as soon as Ace is like, wow, this is impressive. Oh, it's even more impressive because here comes more and here comes more and here comes more. So that's going to be the gift um, in, in, yeah.
1: Is Rivka now dead?
0: Rif okay. So Rivka is going to, Rivka is not alive anymore. Correct. Part of the conversation I think Rivka's not alive anymore. Because she, part of the conversation that Rashi brings and the Medrash brings is, um, is that, um, I don't know, I'm going to have to fact check that one. Because Rivka does tell Yaakov, she sends a message that, that his brother calmed down and, she, and, she, and he could come back. And she, that was the place where as a mother she read the map a little bit wrong. But um, uh, Devorah passes away we have, I think it is Parsha, we have Devorah, we have Devorah. Yeah, Devorah's are, death recorded in this Parsha. Devorah is Rivka's um, nurse. nurse who went with her when she went to get married. And Rashi says that when Devorah passed away, Rivka also passed away. But the Torah doesn't want to list the birth, sorry, doesn't want to list the passing of Rivka. So people should not curse the womb that gave birth to Esav. So her, her, her death is actually not clearly written in Torah. But where it, has Devorah's, where it has Devorah's death, Rashi says Rivka also passed away that same time, and they were sort of, I guess, closely tied. So, so Rashi there says that, that Rivka sent Devorah to go tell Yaakov it's safe to come back, and on the way back she passes away. So yes, Rifka's gonna pass away in the Parsha also. Um, so a couple of things. So the first thing he's gonna do is has this massive, massive, massive gift, slash perhaps bribery, slash perhaps diplomacy, whatever language you want to call it. The next thing he's going to do is he's going to divide his forces, he's going to divide his camp into two different, he's going to divide his his entire camp <coughs> into two different hilltops, mountaintops, spaces whatever, assuming that if one gets attacked, the other one will survive. And the Mepharsham asked, like, why is that a given? Why? Why wouldn't somebody else, why would Asim have thought of of the strategy of a two-pronged attack? And that goes back to the promise that that Yaakov knows. He was given a promise, (coughs) excuse me, of a future. He was given the promise that you will continue and you will survive. But doesn't, you know, I say this all the time. When we talk about promises of Jewish continuity, it's not a personal personal, uh, qualification. The Jewish people will be fine. Does that mean that I'm gonna be okay? Right. You know, the Jewish people are gonna be fine, but me personally, it's not a personal guarantee. So Yaakov is basically going to understand that there is a there is a bracha for some of the some of his camp has this bracha of continuity. His wives, his children, they're gonna to have to continue. Everything else? All bets are off. We don't really know if they're going to make it through. So he splits it so the people that have the guarantee of continuity were, were not mixed up. It didn't get diluted between having all these, you know... So, did that make any sense? I don't know if it made sense. I don't know if I finished my sentence. In my head it made sense. I He ask. split them so he
1: knew Islam would continue because of promised that he's going to have a nation. Exactly. So he's
0: basically split his camp... So which whoever fell under the rubric of your your a future is guaranteed was on one side, and all his animals and his servants and everything else was another thing. Meaning he's hoping it's all going to come across. He's, he's hoping it's all going to work out, but he doesn't know. So he knows these people for sure are going to go through. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know which side he's on. Mm-hmm. He's going to be with the team. He's going to be on the side of the people who don't have the guarantee. Because mm-hmm. the other people have a guarantee they're going to get out. So he's not worried about them. He's worried about the other people in... So that's kind of how in it talks about his splitting him up. And, and then he davens. He davens, okay? And um, he says, so he davens, and he says something very, very powerful, which it's, whatever, we'll, we'll look at it. If you look at chapter 32 in verse 11, he says, <laughs> I am humbled by all the kindness, and all the truth that you did with your servant. <laughs> Because I passed over this, this, uh, this, this river with just my stick. Exactly, I'm too big. I'm too big. Camps. I have a lot of stuff to have to you know think about. Um, the place of a tzaddik is when he's given a lot of good. He's humbled. He doesn't walk out and say, "Whoa, yay me! I earned this. I'm awesome." He says, "Katoti, I'm humbled by all the kindness that you've given me and all the, you know, from from the gifts and the truth that you've given me. And in Tanya, there's a letter, and it's called Katoti, and it's a letter that the Alter Rebbe wrote when he came out of prison to his Hasidim to say a, bear, a big, big miracle has happened, and our job now is not to, like, go... Smush it in people's faces, but to be humbled by the miracles and the kindness that Hashem has given us, and we know that this upcoming week is Yotzei slave when the Altar was in fact liberated. So I thought that was a nice little thing over there. Okay, and he continues on. He a little bit longer. I want to talk about. We'll talk about it soon. We have to talk about Yaakov and Esav meeting because it's cosmic. It's not just two brothers getting together. It's, it's every you know. We keep talking about how this is body and soul, and da-da-da-da, and this is going to be a continuation of that theme, and we know even, if you take a step even further into how Hasidus looks at it, we know that Esau is representative of the world of Tohu, and Yaakov is representative of the world of Tikkun, that Tohu is chaotic energy. It is strong, it is powerful, it is untamed, And, and Tikkun is... How do you fix it? How do you, you know, the tohu is the incredible lights and tikkun is the vessels that they can go into, and the question is, and part of what Hasidus is going to look at this 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 encounter and say it's tohu and tikkun meeting and saying, are we ready for Mashiach? Are we ready? Yaakov comes and we're going to talk about it later when he when he comes to speak to to and he basically says to him, we have we he says I, I lived with Lavan and I he, Rashi says he kept all the mitzvahs. And the question is, like, what's his point in saying that? And basically, Chassidus says, Yaakov is saying, I did whatever I have to do to get ready for Mashiach. Like, did you do your part? Are we ready? Like, Yala, can we just go to the gula? And he's like, nah. didn't exactly work out like that. You know? And so Yaakov realizes, like, he didn't do his part, so it takes two to Tego, actually, in this case. And so that we, we are not yet ready for the gula. And that's why, even though Esau, in this meeting, which we're going to get to soon, is going to be so overwhelmed with his meeting of his, the meeting of his brother, which we'll talk about, but he isn't actually ready for Mashiach. So when we talk about, is this cosmic encounter ready? No, it wasn't, but that's really what it was. It really was this, it was going to be this, are we ready to join forces? Are we ready to put the lights of Tohu into the vessels of Tikkun and then have a rectified world? That's what Yaakov was hoping for, but Asa wasn't ready. Do
1: you think, or does any kind of rabbis say in any text like, that this has anything to do with today and Mashiach coming? Because Asab,
0: the Muslim, the Arabs, and... Asas actually Rome. Asas our exile that we're in now. The The, the Gullus that we're in now is considered... It's called uh, Gullus Romi, the, the Roman, so to speak, that's where the exile started. And that's really where we are now. We're still... Under the dominion of okay. of Rome.
1: Okay, but okay, so still same question is like, do you think that it's only up to the Jewish people then for Mashiach to come, or is it up to the whole world then? Because if it's up to Esau and Yaakov, then it seems like it's
0: not just up to us, the other Right. World. Right. Okay. I, the answer is I don't know. I. Mean, I, I no, <laughs> I'm going to say the answer is I know that. I will say I will say uh, one thing. I think that when you talk about Yaakov and Esau and you talk about primordial forces, they were like the, they were the first, they were like the the base conversation. Once it goes through history and it gets diluted, it's not up to one person anymore. It's not up to, like there, they could have solved the situation. Yaakov and Asav together could have like come to some kind of resolution had they been ready. But I think like as we've gone through history, the, the power of Asav is no longer in one person. It's, it's diffused through through the entire world, and same thing. Yaakov is not in one person. We all have part of that energy of Yaakov. The bigger question that we have to ask ourselves is, and we talk about this a lot with different in different parts, and We talk about different people, and the, and it's still a true statement that you know Yaakov and Esav really represent the forces. If you take what you know, step down from Tohu and Tikkun, which is like really big, but in a more uh, if you step it down a little bit, you know, Yaakov is a place of the spiritual and Esav is the world of the physical and the question is, is within our own lives. Where do we face down Yaakov and Asov? How in our own lives do we find balance between the spiritual and the physical and what's ruling us at any given time? And how do we approach that conversation? And that's really one of the things that Hasidus talks about that when we come to a situation where the spiritual has to show down, have have a showdown with the physical, there's really not one way of doing it. Sometimes you think this is the only way. My parenting method is like this. My my behavior method is like this. And Torah's saying, no, that's not true. It's multi it's multi dimensional. You have the fast. You have the part of bribery or diplomacy or whatever, whatever you want to call that. You also have the place of preparing for war that you have to be ready. Sometimes. When you talk about, you know, with us and our relationship with the physical, we sometimes have to, like, I think when we say go to war, it's take a strong stance against something that we, we don't really want to be doing, but somehow we find ourselves doing it again and again and again. Like, we need to take a stance, and that's war. That's, like, that strength of planting your feet and saying, I'm not going to do this, that's a warlike behavior, that's war-like behavior within ourselves and the other places that we need to dive in. We say, Hashem, you've got to help me with this one. Like, we don't do only one. It's not like it's all up to me or it's all up to Hashem. Like, we got to do both of that. Ya- Yaakov made his first preparations where he, practically, was he, he did a lot of, he did a lot of preparations. He sent the gifts to Esav and he practically split the the forces and da-da-da, and he also died, but it wasn't, I'm only going to dive and Hashem promised everything's going to be okay and I'm going to be okay. Like, that wasn't his attitude. And it's interesting, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi writes in his, in his he writes in the, He had, like, a... a It's not really a will, but it's, like, he has all these... It's called a tzavah, it's called a will, but it's, like, all these, like, things that you should do. And one of the things he does is that if you ever have an encounter, if a Jew ever has an encounter with non-Jewish officials, they should read the Parsha of Vayishlach before they go to meet them because it talks about the encounter between the forces of of holiness and unholiness. And they sort of remind ourselves of the... where we're supposed to be going and and he also talks about like anytime somebody i guess i don't know this is so practical for us today but he also talks about the idea that whenever somebody travels like the matzah shabbos before they travel they should read vayishlach to say how do we travel how do we encounter the world ace of representing the entire world and the forces that don't want to support us in what we're doing how do we encounter it and how do we fortify us fortify ourselves in that conversation. He says, read Parshish by Yishak beforehand. That's the blueprint for how we deal with the world at large, with our smaller challenges inside ourselves. And our challenges inside ourselves, I don't mean that they're small when I say that they're small. I just mean that they're not like solving world peace, but it's inner world peace that we're, we're trying to achieve. And, and how do you do it? You need to say, wait a second. We have, to, we have to come at it from many, many different angles and we need all of it. We can't just say, God, you need to take care of this. Like, there is a place where, yes, we have to, you know, give things over to Hashem. But there's also the part, like, what am I doing? Like, if I have an anger issue, it's not just enough for for us to say, Hashem, take it away. Like, go to go to anger therapy or like deal with it. You know, you can't just say, oh, I wish it was differently. Like, life doesn't work like that. At the same time, we also know it's not only up to how much effort we're going to put into anything. There's our effort plus Hashem's bracha, and that's really where we're going to, you know, kind of. that's out of our control.
1: Yeah,
0: we can't control his response. We can't control his response. But
1: it's still a factor in what's going to
0: happen. It's a factor, and what's interesting, some of the should actually talk about the idea that because Yaakov, we're to, we have this other encounter between his meeting, his preparation, and his meeting. But because Yaakov was able to come to Esav with a place of calm and love, that there was a place where that actually affected Esav. That he also there's a whole conversation where he, where of hugs and kisses Yaakov and Rashi goes into a whole conversation or a short conversation about was it real or was it not real and that's part of. We do we can't control another person's response but we can control our what we put out into the universe is very often what we're going to get back. We come at we come at a situation with anger we're going to get smacked back in the face. Doesn't mean that we it doesn't mean that we have. We don't control the other person's part of the conversation, but that's actually not even our job. That's not our responsibility, what they're going to respond. Our responsibility is how we behave and what we do, and that's what's important. Not, not that, of course, in this case, it was very nice that Asaph actually didn't kill his brother. Like, that was very nice, and we're all sitting here in 2022 and very happy, like, that didn't happen. But that wasn't, that almost, in our personal conversation, that almost isn't the, that is, that almost isn't the answer. The question is how do I come to the situation? I can't control that part of it. I control my part of it. So I can control how I react to physicality. I can control how I react to challenge. I can't react, I can't control the response. I can only control my part of the conversation to, to challenge. Did you have a comment? No. No. Okay. Just say it. So he sends it, he sends off the whole gift. Blah 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 blah, and he tells them every. He tells every group. Tell him when he says, "Who are these people?" You should tell him that your
1: servant,
0: your servant Yaakov sent me. Right, also the other interesting in the beginning when he sends the parsha is called VaYishlach. He sends messengers to Esav, and he and uh, and they and they come back. They come back in verse seven, and they say, uh, "We went to your brother to Esav," and and Rashi says that you were asking us to go to your brother, but he's not, he doesn't feel the brotherly love yet. He's still coming, he's Asa, and he's coming at us with 400 men. And we're going to have this whole show then, And that's when Yaakov gets very nervous. Okay, so in the middle of the night, so he, so then what happens? Um, so he tells him what to do. And there, uh, in, okay, in the middle of the night, he, he splits the camps, sorry. And then he Yaakov actually asks. Acts as a human bridge, and he's getting all the people and the possessions from one side of the river to the other side of the river, and um, and Yaakov ends up staying by himself. Right? If you see where we are, we're in thirty-two, verse twenty-five. Yaakov ends up being by himself, and there's a man who comes and wrestles with him, Adolot haShachar till the morning dawn. Yeah, and um, and then the, this person sees that he can't he can't uh, win him, so he sort of he injures him. In his sciatic nerve up here, and um, and then and then this this person says to Yaakov, "Let me go," and Yaakov says that I will not go until you bless me. Mm-hmm. Right. So so the so this person says in verse twenty eight, "What's your name?" He says Yaakov. So he says you're not going to be called Yaakov anymore. What are you going to be called? Israel. Why? because you, you struggled with man and with God and you prevailed and then Yaakov asks him what his name is he's like what does, what does it matter what my name is and he blesses him and he, and he leaves so um, so Rashi says who is this person that Yaakov Jacob wrestles with all night Esav's angel. angel the Tsar of Esav the minister of Esav that means that the spiritual showdown between Physical and spiritual has already happened before they meet in the morning. Um, in Hasidus, it talks about that Yaakov. Well, in, in the pasuk it says that he left some small things on the other side of the river, and he went to get it. And um, and so the Rashi brings the idea that righteous people are are very protective. They're chassal They're they're they are particular. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, careful maybe is a better word. You don't take things for they, they, he he wouldn't just say, "Oh, it's a little thing; I'll just leave it." And the reason is because it's tzaddik. Everything that they own has sparks of holiness that they've elevated. So if I leave it there, I'm not just leaving the the little thing. I'm leaving the sparks of holiness that I released and that are really part of my part of my service. So that's why he goes back. It's interesting. In the Hasidic in the Hasidic uh, books they talk about that the he went back. Anybody know what he went back for? A little jar, right? He went back for a little jar. We're in the month of Kislev. Where else do we have the image of a little jar?
1: The Beis Hamikdash.
0: and in the Chassidish they talk about that the what he went back for would later be found by his hmm. descendants Whoa. where they go to it's the Beis Hamikdash. You know, I don't know. I'm just telling you where the link is made. That the cruise of and oil, that the Maccabees were going to fingers. be fat, We're going to find, was what he went back for now. That's crazy. Maybe it wasn't exactly the same. Maybe it's the energy. I don't know exactly. But in the Chassidish Aswaram, they definitely talk about the idea that he goes back. What is he going back for? He's going, essentially, he's going back for that, which is going to be the miracle that we're going to be celebrating did this the month jar as well. Also, the
1: jar he went for, like, what did it contain?
0: It doesn't. It doesn't oil. actually say. It doesn't say okay. what. It doesn't say what was it. It says that he, it was. It oil. says that he went back Just for. Just jar itself. He went back for a jar. Okay.
1: Cool. And
0: was it what? And so they say, what's the jar that he went back for? He went back for that that pach katan that we know for all from all our Hanukkah stories. Mm-hmm. That little cruise of oil. So he went back for that. Um, we have a t- one of the things. In the, one of the prompts that came up this this uh, this week was that. Uh, this place of this wrestling with, with, you know, Yaakov wrestling with the angel, that when we are in a place of, of distress or stress, we have to wait until we see the blessing from it. I'm paraphrasing the prompt. Does that sound vaguely familiar? Or I totally messed it up. No, no idea. No, that sounds
1: familiar. Yeah, it was,
0: I think, Leah. Leah. Lea. It was Leah. So she basically was saying, like, what do we learn from this I encounter that Yaakov says, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me? Like, What does that even mean? Don't let me, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Like, we struggled. I won. goodbye. Have a nice life. But really, everything that we struggle with in life at the end has to have some kind of blessing for us. There has to be some place that we walk out of that encounter stronger and better because we've had it. Or else you wouldn't have had it. it. Just like we talk about often, the neshama doesn't come down to the world just to go back and be as good as it was before it came down. Like, what a waste of time for the neshama. You're sitting and basking in the glory of God, which, by the way, you don't use for anything else except when you talk about the neshama and Hashem, right? Like, it basks in the glory of God, right? Um, The neshama doesn't come down here, be bodied for 70, 80, 90, 120 years, and go back, and it's all, it hasn't gotten ruined. Shkoyach, that's not so helpful, right? That's not what we're looking for to do. We're looking for it to come back enhanced and beautiful. When we have a struggle, when we're in a situation where it's tight and something is coming up against us and saying, you can't do this. It's struggling with us. We have to understand that in there is a bracha for us and we shouldn't let go. We, and the truth is, you know the experiences that we keep going back to and we keep playing back in our head because they still bother us? If we didn't get the bracha out of them, they're going to keep bothering us. They're going to keep bothering us until... So, Yes. Maybe it's therapy, but it's also being able, and maybe that's how we see the bracha in what, whatever it was that happened to us, right? So that, that, those that's what that encounter is. And one of them, Farshim, also talked about the idea that this embrace, Yaakov struggling with the angel, comes in two different forms. It comes in a fight, and it comes in a hug. Mm. Comes in a hug. It comes from a place of strength, and it comes from a place like it comes from a place of anger, almost, and a place of love. And the question is, how do we approach our struggle, and how do we approach what we're doing? Sometimes we need it to be one language, and sometimes we need it to be another language. And we need to figure out what what it is that's going to help us get out of the situation, because that's the end. that's what the point of the encounter is. The point of the encounter isn't just that we should get smacked down to the floor. The point of the encounter is how do we come back up stronger and better. And here, Yaakov is in fact going to get this angel to acknowledge that the blessings that he got are do in fact belong to him, and he's going to. Uh, so he gives it to him, and he also gives him a name change. Does the name Yisrael have like a meaning? Yes. So the name. So so that's Israel. very true. So the the name Yisrael later on Hashem's also going to rename him. He's going to use the same name, Yisrael. If you look at the word, okay, Yisrael. You have the letters, Lee Rosh. You see how, if you switch these letters around. You see? Mm. See so what I just did? Li, Rosh. His
1: head?
0: You're, you, you're, you're yeah. a head to me, you're a head to me. Oh. Okay? That one of the names, and this is what later on Hashem is going to give us, the name that Jewish people are like, like the head for Hashem. They're like very, very special. Here, here the angel says... Why are, you get, why are you getting this name? He says, Kisarisa. I can only say it in Ashkenaz, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> you struggled with Hashem, with God and with man and you prevailed. So there's a Torah that we always say in our house. Uh, there was a Hasidic Rebbe, his name was Reb labela Eger, who was actually a grandson of a very not-Hasidic Rebbe called Rebbe Kiva Eger. And, um, and he said, we were given the wrong name. Look at what the look what the angel says. The angel says to him, "I'm not going to call you. You're not. You're not going to be Yaakov anymore. You're going to be Yisrael Kisarita, Imelokim Imanashim Atuchal." So says we should be called Bnei Tuchal, the people who prevailed. Like that would be a nice bracha. Like what are you calling us? The people who struggle? Benet? That's our name. And he says that is that is the game. We are not. We are not guaranteed success. We are guaranteed that we will be able to continue to struggle and to continue in a good way. That we'll continue to fight and we'll be able to. Tanya talks a lot about this the, the place of the struggle, the place of when we say, but my life should be easy and it should all be smooth for me. Maybe we're not actually reading the map so closely. Maybe that's not what we're meant to do. Maybe we're meant to struggle with the darkness and not necessarily be in that place of smooth sailing, tzaddik. Maybe that's not us. But the place of that, we're guaranteed that if we continue to fight and if we continue to, we continue to struggle, it's going to be good. We're going to end up, this is my, my twist, that we're going to end up from the place of struggle. We're going to come to a place of really being on top of the situation. Your head is on top of your body. Lee Roche, that we will end up being in a good place. We might not be guaranteed that we're going to win this, this battle or that battle but at the end, or this war or that war, but we're going to win the battle, lose the battle, win the war, that one. Um, I'm like, what are the others going on here? I need somebody to help me over here, Um, and and so really says that is our name because our name it doesn't there's no guarantee that our life was meant to be smooth and easy, but it's as long as we're able to continue to fight for Hashem and fight for what we know to be true and to fight for living a Torah life, then that's that's all that's being asked of us, okay? So um, so that's two things about that struggle. so then we, so then Yaakov is limping. That's why we don't eat the, the, the that, that sciatic nerve is actually goes through the back of an animal. So we don't Jews don't eat that part of an animal. I
1: thought some spardum spardum do. Sfarim do. Well,
0: so I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, There's a <coughs> nerve that goes through the back of the leg of the animal, and in Ashkenazi, a koshering situation, it's difficult. They don't. They don't. You. They don't have. They don't know. They, there's no miso or there's no weight. They don't really know how to take it out. It's called treiben to devein. So they don't know how to do it. So the back part of an animal in Ashkenazi uh, shkita is never kosher. You can sell it to, some, to other people who can eat non-kosher. It doesn't matter. But some Sephardi know how to know how to devein it. And that's why you go to Sfardi restaurants with people who know how to do it. You might be able to get cuts of meat that are not kosher for Ashkenazim. So can we eat mm-hmm. uh, if
1: there's a Sephardi
0: restaurant? I'm going to say I don't know. <laughs> I. I, 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 Huh?
1: Like, where's the correlation? Like, why? Because some man had his hip hurt once. Like, do we not eat this part of the animal? Where's the correlation on that?
0: Okay, so the first thing. So the first thing that we're talking about, Yaakov. We're talking about Yaakov, right? We're talking about Yaakov. It's gonna be. First of all, I want to say three things. No, I say I want to say three things. First of all, the fact that Torah records it makes it significant. Yeah. OK, and if it's being recorded, the Torah actually says over here, therefore, we don't eat, it. We don't eat the sciatic nerve. Um, uh, so the, first of all, the fact that yeah, the Torah records it here, it's, be, it's interesting because before I should talk about the idea that this, therefore, Jews don't eat the sciatic nerve seems to be an out of place comment in the storyline. And whether that would have been a law anyway, and this now becomes a reason why we don't do it. There's a conversation why it's placed over here. Um, so that's kind of one and a half. And um, things that happen to Yaakov, and Yaakov is the one who is actually the father who starts the Jewish people fully, because it's been kind of coming down Avram and Yitzhak and Yaakov, it's going to be all his children, um, it becomes very significant to us. So if we talk about the idea, oh, it's just a vein, that's one thing. But the, but the and here, this is my own take. You don't have to buy this part, okay? Um, the place that the angel was able to harm Yaakov was in a place where he personally... Well, this is not mine. This is... has talked about this. He was able to harm him in a place where his mitzvahs were shaky. The sciatic nerve is what helps sustain... Would hold, would hold, it put, holds your body together. Did anybody ever have issues with their sciatic nerve? I have. It's very painful. That's not the point. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it combines. It connects things. And it keeps you standing upright and stable. The reason the angel was able to hold him... No. The reason the angel was able to hurt him thank you for the English, um, is because someplace here, Jacob had a deficiency. And the deficiency was that he had married, it's very close to, your, to your, reproductive, your reproductive organs, and the fact that he had married two sisters, which is going to be prohibited by Torah, opens up the window of a place of weakness, spiritually, for Jacob, so he could be harmed physically. Okay, that's kind of very clear in the farm. That's very clear. And Svarb and Chassidus, they talk about it a lot. I'm wondering, you know, why do we not eat the sciatic nerve? To remind us that we are only vulnerable in the places where... We are physically vulnerable in the places where we are spiritually weak. It doesn't mean that he... He had halacha, like, he could could check the boxes why he was able to do it. And we talked about it a different time. But I think that perhaps the reason that we don't eat the sciatic nerve is for us to remember that the physical and the spiritual are very tied together. And when we when there is a place where we are hurting, we are we are not strong, let's say, in a spiritual place, it has the possibility of having physical ramifications. It doesn't go the other way. It's not because we're physically weak we are spiritually thing. It always goes the other way. There's in modern sort of parlance that's coming that's becoming very very popular. You know, the body holds a score and all different kinds of things of like, it's becoming under, we are understanding that stress and outside forces do affect our health in a way that's sometimes it's not, it's coming out in a way that doesn't sort of correlate totally. But if you go back and say, oh, that's where it's coming from, you know, they're even in, like I'm saying, even modern alternative places, they're talking about that. That combination, so that would be my sense of why we perhaps today, not because only because it happened to him, but also be maybe because it's a reminder to ourselves, okay?
1: I have a question Go about for it. the name. Okay. So I was watching a past video on last week's parsha, and it was saying that the name Yaakov literally meant crooked.
0: There's different meanings, right? Oh well,
1: that's what they they told me. I, I'm wondering if there's any like.
0: Well, because Yisrael is more Yashar. Like, it's straight.
1: So I'm like, is there like? It's, I it's, on that, so, I didn't like
0: so there's a there is a whole conversation. Uh, the biggest interesting conversation that is addressed by all the Mefarshim and Chassidus talks about it a lot is we know that Avram had his name changed to Avraham and Sarai had her name changed to Sarah. We never we never you're not actually allowed to call them Avraham Av, you're not allowed to call Avraham Avram. You're not allowed to call Sarai Sarah Sarah. Once your name is changed, your name is changed. But with Yaakov. We see that even in Torah, he's going through. We have Yaakov and Yisrael used very, very, very often. So, uh, so there's a whole conversation about why is that name changed different. So the the first the first level is well, if Torah uses both names repeatedly after his name was changed, then clearly we're also allowed to, which is one answer. But the deeper level is because both names represent different things. And Yaakov definitely represents us when we're not at our shining moments. Right? It's achev. It's holding on to the heel. It's holding on to, you know, you'd We're trying to bring holiness into a low place. We're not in our best shining moments. And you stroll us when, like, we really, like, we ace it. You know, like, we, we got this one. And we don't only do one or the other. We definitely have both of those aspects that continue to kind of roll around in our lives. And if we only had one name of connection, what if we weren't in that space then? Then how would we connect? If we could only be Yaakov and we're in a place of Yisrael, how would we connect? And conversely, if we're in a place that's not so good and the only name we could access is, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Hashem's you know, minister and I'm the head and everything, like, it, it's, it doesn't help us. So really both of those names are names that we get to use to, to move us forward. There's some of the more modern commentators who talk about the idea that Yaakov is used whenever we talk about personal family matters, and Yisroel is used whenever we talk about the Jewish people issues. It's not hundred percent all the way through, but if you like the majority of the times, you'll see that that's going to happen. That we'll use the name Yaakov when it's something that's going to happen that impacts the family, and Yisroel is going to be when we're talking about the Jewish people situation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Baseder, chapter 33. chapter and now they're going to they're going to actually meet. So it's the whole morning after, the whole we had the whole the, the gifts went, da 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 And now we have the next morning, and Yaakov lines everybody up, and he they all go to they all go to meet and they and they bow to him. And um and in verse 4, if you say Vayar it's of the runs towards them, the Kehu, and he hugs them and he, he falls on his neck, and he kisses him and he cries, and if you notice what's on top of the word, a lot of, a lot of dots, there's a lot of dots, you see we're at verse 4, there's a lot of dots on the top of the word, and Rashi's like, what's going on with that? And um, and Rashi says, Rashi actually brings, um, Rashi brings two, so the first he says, that he hugs him, that he had like rahmanis, but he saw everything that was going on, he saw the, everything and he was like, he was overcome with emotion. So, vishakay when he kissed him, Rashi says, there's a disagreement on this situation. What do some people say? What do some people say? So, Machlokas. Right, or like just
1: total right. It.
0: right. So, so, Rashi says, um, some say that, um, to say that he didn't really kiss him with his whole heart. And some say, and, and, he's, and, and Rabbi, he, he quotes Rabbi Shem Baruchai, who says that it's a known fact that, and this is really the second opinion, that the known fact is that Esav hates Yaakov, but this time his, his, uh, his Rahmanas was aroused and he did kiss him with his whole heart. So there's, there's a macholik going on up here. Shkoyach, that's very helpful. But, uh, so what does it mean for us? So what does it mean for us? Um, so if we go back to Yaakov being spiritual and Esav being physical... We, we there are many ways we could decide to interact with the world. We could ignore it, and we could also sort of try to embrace it. And and in Chassidus it talks about the idea that if you look at this kiss, Rashi says first that it wasn't, um, it wasn't really wholehearted. They re- didn't really, it wasn't really. He didn't do it with his whole heart. And so in Chassidus it talks about the idea that sometimes when we try to marry physical and spiritual it's awkward it doesn't really it doesn't really work we're trying to make it work but it isn't really what it, it's it's we're just kind of forcing the issue not really we don't really mean it but if we actually can find a way to harness the physical and use it for spiritual then it's something that we could in fact get to this place of actually understanding how we how the physical really helps us in our spiritual and how they really are marriage and they work together to serve Hashem. It's, 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 a, it's a thing to think about. And I think if we thought about our own lives, we totally would see it. There's sometimes we're like, I really want to try to do this mitzvah. And we start doing it where it's sort of like, we're not so comfortable in it, but we really want to do it. So we like are trying to do it. And then it gets easier and smoother. And that's really how we're marrying physical and spiritual, how we're taking the way we dress, the way we eat, the way we talk, all those things that are physical things, and we want to do it differently, we want to do it in a holy way, and when we start doing it, it feels awkward and unnatural. And then, as, it gets, as we work on that relationship, it becomes easier and more smooth to be able to respond in a godly soul-forward manner. I don't know if that made sense in English, but it made sense in my head. Okay? Whoa. Where's are Okay, then oh, so they, the, Yaakov and Asaph hug and kiss, and then all the, the families, the wives and the children come. We had a very funny thing that happened in the house this week. That, um, because it, it says here that, that uh, the maidservants came with their children, and Leah came with her children, and then it ca- then came Yosef and Rachel. And Rashi says, why do you say Yosef and Rachel? Because Yosef didn't want Asaph to see his mother. He so my mother's beautiful, I don't want to receive. see him. I don't want him to see her, so he put her behind, Aww. he put his mother behind him to sort of hide her, Sweet. and I, I always thought it was like, it, it just didn't make sense to me, like the idea made sense, but the physical, Yosef is a little boy, how old is he, he's, do you know how old is yeah. he? Yeah, he's, he's like or seven or eight years old, okay. Okay, what? I
1: guess 12 or 13.
0: No, he's, he's, he's the last child to be born before they, before, as soon as Yosef is born, Yaakov says, let's go. And then they spend another six years working on the sheep and now they're starting to travel. So he's seven, maybe he's eight. He's a little kid, right?
1: Maybe it's, maybe he came into a two minute dream.
0: No, no, the idea, I understand the idea, but I don't, I didn't physically understand how it works.
1: He's so cute. And it's nice it's
0: very see. good, but I'm telling you, this is not Torah. He is. not actually hide
1: his mother.
0: Okay, so this week, David and Gitto were in the house, and Do- Gitto went behind David, and she's like, oh, this is what Rachel did, because David's a lot bigger than her. I have no idea how big Yosef was. He could have been a very big seven year old. I was like, it like just clicked. Oh, you totally wouldn't see. Obviously, he's going to come forward, you know, like, she's going to come forward, then she's going to see, but like, that place of wanting to hide his mother, I was like, I see how that could have worked. <laughs> so I thought I would share that with you. Um, and um, Bissetta, so they have this whole talk, this exchange, and Ace is like, yeah, this is all great, let's all go together, and Yacob's like, yeah, go ahead, we'll catch up to you, we'll catch up to you. Um, and and, um, and uh, it, it seems, you know, Rashi seems, says it seems a little disingenuous, because Yakov says, I'm going to catch up to you, and he never does catch up to him. And Rashi says, oh, when Mashiach comes, they're going to catch up. But when you look at it from a place of Hasidic, like, were we ready for Mashiach? Were we ready to marry Tohu and Tikkun? Were we were ready to marry the forces, the, the incredible forces of chaos with the, with the vessels of Tikkun, of rectification? And it didn't happen. Yeah, I like, okay, it's not going to happen now. We're going to have to let history play itself out. And then we're going to meet at the end. And then we're going to be able to put that, those pieces together. Okay. Uh, then we have chapter 34, that's today's, today's Torah reading, and this is the whole story of Dina and Shechem, mm. Mm. which is really, um, it's, I don't know, it's just beyond, beyond um, personally uncomfortable. Mm. It's just like, uh, for perspective, for perspective for a second, I also want to say, how old is Dina.
1: Young. Same as Yosef. She's same age as huh? Yosef. She's same we, age as Yosef. Who's the words use for like Yelda, and then, I don't know the vowels for it, but like maybe. She's, yeah. Yeah. She's very young. Like a child.
0: She's a child. She and Yosef are the same age.
1: Hi.
0: Hi. So we could play the card in both directions. Well, you know, this one's three. Da, da, da. So age is going to definitely be different, but at the same time, there's certain places where she is very young. Um, and for this to happen to... To anybody is a terrible, terrible thing for us to happen to a child it is horrific, and um, and I have to say this is not I at all wet. this is not at all PC, not, not at all wet. PC. When her brothers went out and they like took the matters in their own hand, I have a lot of brothers. There's part of me was like, yeah, that that's that's what the brothers' response should be. It's interesting, like modern commentators who talk. It's an interest for a second. Let's try to put all the pieces together and make some sense of this. We learn how old a person is for Bar Mitzvah from Shimon and Levi. Okay? Because it says in the Pesach, Vayikach Isheschar Bay. What's the story? Shimon and Levi are Shimon, before that, no. What happens is, is that Shechem, who's the crown prince, sees Dina, takes her, abducts her, keeps her in the palace. And, um, and then he falls in love with her and then he wants to marry her. So he and his father, Hamor come to have conversations with Jacob. His children are not there. The boys are not there. And they have this whole, this whole conversation. So when the boys come back, uh, this, here's the very cliff notes story of this. When the boys come back, um, uh, Yaakov is waiting for them to come back. When the boys come back, they say, oh, our sister can't marry uncircumcised people. Let everybody be circumcised. And... What happens on day three? Shimon and Levi, um, they they go, I'll take a look at verse 25. Okay, so it's on the third day when everybody's in pain. So the two sons of Yaakov, Shimon and Levi, they're swords. described as Achei Dina. They were acting because they were Dina's brothers. Ish harbo, each man took his sword. They come to the sword. They come to the city and they kill everybody. I'm not. I'm not saying this is like justifiable behavior, but there's part of me that sort of is cheering them on. I have to be honest. Um, but so, so in, in halacha, in halacha we learn that because they're called ish, and we know at this point Shimon is 13 years old. We know that the age for Bar mitzvah is 13, and we're like, and and they're like, really? That's where you're learning. That's where you're learning bar mitzvah from the two boys who like. You know, we say, you were saying like they couldn't control them, so they go kill everybody. Like, I think in one of the, we, we, we live in a time where we have enough documented uh, genocides going on that we know that who is the biggest helper to genocide?
1: People who don't do anything.
0: Yeah, the people who don't do anything. The silent majority who just don't do anything are the biggest helpers in every single genocide. The, the silent only ever benefits the dictators. It never benefits the, the victims. And one of the things that we talk about over here is that Shem, uh, sorry Shem and his father Hamor, they were the law of the land. And nobody in their city, there's a conversation in the Medrash, whether the people in the city helped them abduct her, knew about it and kept silent, whatever it was, they were all complicit in this in this conversation. And when... The, imagine the conversation going on in the tent by Yaakov with the children. Like, who do we go to? Who can help us? Who, let's go to the authorities. They are the authorities. Like, there's nobody to talk to. Where are the people... That, who are the people in the city who could help get our sister back? There's nobody to talk to. And the easiest thing for them to do would be to walk away. And they said, that is not the... Morally, that's not the right thing to do. Somebody has to stand up for this injustice. Parenthetically, the Rambam talks about the idea... that that non-Jews then kept the seven Noahide laws. And when they did not, any non-Jews who did not keep any of the seven Noahide laws, including having courts of justice, which clearly was not in effect over here, they actually are, they're actually, um, they're Chayid Misa, they get the death penalty for not keeping the seven Noahide laws. Remember, you cannot go out in the street and say, anybody's knocking the seven Ohio laws today, you have permission to kill them. That doesn't work, okay? We, you will still go to jail. Um, but there, there is a place where technically they had halacha on their side. They also had the moral right on their side. Um, and the other thing, is a sad commentary by Samson Rafael Hirsch, he says that why did they ask for everybody to be circumcised? Because there was a problem that all the neighbors would come join the fight. And so Rev Hirsch says, they would say, "Oh, it's just a bunch of Jews. It doesn't matter. Nobody's going to come to their defense." Um, so, if you know the time when he lived, it was it was kind of thing. The bigger question that we want to ask: There's a lot. Kabbalah has a lot of there's a lot of lot a lot of stuff going on about this. We literally have two minutes, so that's not where we're going to go right now. You um, know, some really very interesting things. But um, how did Dina get there? I'm not blaming the victim. I'm like not blaming the victim. Chas v'shal. That's how I'm doing. The women. The part. What? She was like her mother Leia. She was like her mother Leia. How was she like her mother Leia? I started.
1: She wanted to meet the women. Curious, adventurous, like, she's kind of but like. I remember we said once that she, that I think Leia had like the masculine quality of almost like going out and like socializing and putting herself out there. And when it says that she's like her mother, it's kind of that same idea too, where she has right. that masculine quality. She was supposed to be a son, and then um, Leia said, "Like I can't have more sons." So I'll have a daughter. So I'll have a daughter. Yeah.
0: And so, so version of yeah.
1: Also, also Yahoo hit her to not get married is Esau exactly. and that's why she was right. which
0: uh, by the way I have to say I'm so bothered by that Rashi I don't no, have an no, answer no, Rashi, I know it's Rashi so <laughs> I can't whatever where Rashi <laughs> what? says because he hid her from Asav, so therefore he was punished and she fell into the hands of Shechem and I'm like how is that a punishment for Yaakov yeah. like uh, I don't understand that but I'm. you're right I'm, I'm accepting that it's Rashi and that I hear that Alicia. Okay. why did Yaakov not say anything because like
1: apparently found I heard it like it read like he heard about
0: it. He knew a few days. Yeah, he, did, he waited for the boys to come in. It's There's a whole bunch of stuff going I mean, on. We have literally 30 seconds. There's still really 30 seconds going on over here. Um, but I want to I I pull everything that you said together. When we talk about Leah having a lot of children, we spoke, we spoke about this many times. You don't have 12 tribes just because the math is better to have more children. Like You can multiply 12 and get more children faster. Every single one of the, the mothers that bore children to Yaakov, to the Jewish people, was bringing down like a pure essence of how to serve Hashem. Each one of those first tribes was Reuven, using the power of sight, Shimon, this power of hearing. The way we relate to Hashem are 12 different ways of of, of, of having a relationship with Hashem. And the Jewish people now, we need all of them. They all It's like, you know when he makes... Did anybody ever go to one of these... Uh, things, and you make perfume? Aww. A little bit of this, a little bit extra to this. Like, we're, we're we're a composite of everybody, but the original tribes were very, very, very formidable forces, different forces of how to have a relationship with Hashem. Everyone had a, a very specific vision of how do we have a relationship with Hashem. And who has the most children? Leah. Leah, why? Not because she was the most fertile, only because she was the most fertile, because she is able to bring down different kinds of energy to the world. And one of the things that she had that she didn't, she didn't not give, but she didn't give it to one of the boys. We know about Leia, she has an incredible power of prayer. Leia had the ability to, through her prayer, not marry Asaph, through her prayer, she had the ability to change the sex of her child. This is very, very powerful. Leia has the ability to go, Leah personally had the ability to go to Aesop and change Aesop. And she said, I don't want to do that. That's not my job. I don't want to do that. But the ability that she had to do that, she still had. And who did she give that to? She gave Dina. it to Dina. She gave it to Dina. So when Dina was going out... Where was she going? She's going to see the fashion in Shechem? Like, what was she going to do? Oh, I wonder what they're all wearing in the market. Right? No. She's the daughter of Leah. Leah went out to Yaakov. You're saying about the promiscuous. Where she went to Yaakov and said, you're coming to me tonight. That was Leah's promiscuity. I want to have more tribes. Dina, who is the child of Leah, who has that ability, who wants to bring more souls to Hashem is going out to Sheb to say we're the girls who can I speak to who can I influence for the, who can I influence to come under you know under the wings of Hashem this is, she's coming from the one monotheistic family in the entire world everybody has a job to do everybody's going to do something and she goes and she wants to see how she can make a difference now she personally had a disastrous situation go on but what's the end of the story what happens to all the women of Shechem? The women and children of Shechem? They're, They're, They're all taken by Yaakov's family. family. Meaning, who's there? Dina, who went looking for them to help shepherd them in holiness, is there to be a mentor for them. Did she pay an incredible price? Absolutely. You know, we're not, like, I don't think anybody around this table is going to say, oh, that was, that was worth the price. Like, I, you know, we're not, we're not going to say that at all. But what she set out to do Happened. She wanted to bring people to Hashem, and all the people, all the women, and all the children end up coming into Yaakov's camp. That's very, very, very powerful. That's very, very powerful. And then we go into the fe- we didn't get to a lot of things. There's a whole crazy stuff in Kabbalah about like the energy that was in Shechem that Dina had to draw out. It was crazy. Lots of crazy stuff going on there. Um, um, and then we have the families of... Then we have the, the families of Aesav and the children, blah, blah, Okay. We got a little bit of partial going on here. Vaishla, when we go out and when we go and encounter the world and when we go to, uh, to meet whoever our personal or whatever our personal Aesav is right now, we have to know that we have the ability to be successful, to overcome any kind of challenge, to know that we have a multi-pronged approach in how we and how we, you know, affect change, when we do and we're able to shine our light and bring, you know, bring Torah and light and holiness to the people around us, please, God, we should have it in a way of peace, in a way of beauty, in a way of calm, in a way of, we don't suffer any, um, I was thinking said there's no shrapnel that comes off to us as a result of our behavior, and we should have only, the place of being able to step into that place of influence from a place of strength and a place of connectedness to Hashem and be able to make a a massive difference in the world, each of us, wherever we are. Have an awesome rest of the day.